What in the world was that? <laughs> you weren't supposed to stop. He's blowing his nose. <laughs> I tried to move away from the mic. <laughs> that was not subtle at all. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack, here with my pal Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Buddy the Elf and Elf. In this 2003 film, Buddy is played by Will Ferrell. The film was written by David Berenbaum and directed by John Favreau. I think John Favreau might be one of our first returning uh, creators, uh, but he was an actor in Rudy. He's one yes. of the first, though, that we've had a repeat in anything that we've talked about in our year of podcasting. Yes, yes. Who knew that it would be John Favreau? Yeah. Um, uh, for this film, uh, the studio had a nice return on investment. The film made $220 million uh, at the box office on a $33 million budget. And I imagine it has also filled the studio coffers through many DVD sales and television licensing fees. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 84% positive rating. Uh, this was interesting. I found this out. The Belch, uh, Buddy's, Buddy's famous This is belch. really one of my favorite pieces of trivia that you've come up with uh, it this year. It was performed by Maurice LaMarche. Anyone know Maurice LaMarche? Our producer, Andrew, recognizes him. He's the voice of the brain. Yes, this Pinky is the, the brain, brain from Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> I, I was within 10 feet of him at Salt Lake Comic Con. What? Yeah. Was he belching? No, you should have asked him signing to. autographs. When I heard it was a voice actor, I was hoping it was going to be the voice of Wacko because Wacko had those belching song bits on Animaniacs. This is an excellent bit. I'm sorry, I was within I have, ten feet of him too. But I'll take that it was the brain. I have absolutely no idea what any of you are talking about now. What did you do with your childhood, Todd? <laughs> I know who Pinky and the Brain are. I don't remember the belching songs. They're Pinky. They're Pinky and, and the, the Brain. Stop. Brain, okay. brain. We get Oh, jeez. During the 2010 holiday season, Elf the Musical ran on Broadway, and uh, George Went played Santa, which all of a sudden I wish I'd seen that. George Went was Norm on Cheers. Oh, my God. Once you hear that, you're like, oh, he could be a good Santa. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Uh, And in 2014, an animated special based on Elf aired on NBC, in which Jim Parsons voiced Buddy. Jim Parsons is uh, Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. Wow. That was an amazing, uh, an amazing uh, three pieces of trivia. We, we pulled in Norm, <laughs> the Brain, and Sheldon. Yes, well done, well done. Thank you. Well, so Todd, uh, do you remember how you came to Elf? I, I don't remember the first time. How old were we in two thousand three? It would we would have been twenty two, twenty one. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. It's really 2003. This film is... 12 years old. 12 years old? Yeah. Yes. So you were like three when it came out. <laughs> uh, uh, 13, Chief. <laughs> uh, but, it, but this is one of those... It uh, feels like it's only been... It feels like it's like four years old. Yeah. But it feels but that it way, but, classic. but it also feels like it's part of the pantheon of Christmas films. So yeah, it's kind of got both. Definitely a classic, feelings. but I wouldn't have thought more than ten years. Because I mean, every it seems like every holiday season, like two or three studios try and throw something out there and hope it will become a Christmas classic. And and Hallmark sends fifteen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as, as listeners know from last week. Uh, but most don't make it past you know any impact. You know, often even just a minimal impact to the box office, and then they're kind of forgotten. But this one has definitely endured. Yeah, it got legs. Feels like. 
the most recent addition to the Christmas canon, I'd say. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I can't, but I can't think of nothing jumps to Someone jumps is to out mind. there yelling, Christmas with the Craigs with Tim Allen. Oh, please. <laughs> I think that was before this. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, gosh. I have no idea. I never saw it. I have no idea what it came <laughs> oh, out <gosh>. of. <laughs> the Family Stone. That's the one they show on buses <laughs> when you go on a long bus. When you go on a, a long bus ride in Spain. <laughs> I don't know how they license their fil- their films, but they're always like. I think, I think you're being generous in assuming there's licensing. If it's anything like the long bus rides in Mexico, it's whatever the guy bought at the Tiangi. No, that no, week. no, 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 because <laughs> because I've seen Christmas at the Stones several times on different bus rides across Spain, like in July. Oh, in, in Mexico, it was uh, clearly pirated copies of DVDs that the bus driver had bought at a flea market called the Tiangi. Yeah, you guys are lucky. Public transportation in Poland doesn't air. Like, uh, oh. Except for like one really fancy one that had old clips of Charlie Chaplin. They don't well, that's um, better, better than anything I had. They, they don't like like screen the films uh, or um, <laughs> or uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Edit edit, edit for the films for for, for like family? children that yeah. might be on the bus. <laughs> so, um, that was, Same in Mexico. It yeah. Prompted an interesting conversation between my nine year old son and I after we. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, but you're saying you don't remember when you first saw it. No, but I do remember having the thought that this is one that I will be watching over and over and over again uh, yearly at Christmas time, and I think that I've probably seen it every year since it came out. Uh, Todd, you know our mutual friend Ben Wanamaker. Ben Wanamaker, one of my uh, favorite people. Besides having a fantastic last name. Yes. Uh, he called me up and said, I'm not doing anything tonight. I kind of want to go see this movie Elf, and I don't want to try and find a date. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to go see it? (laughs) Yeah, this predates either of your marriages, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Just just, uh, barely for me. um, And so we went and saw Elf. That's when I first saw it. Wow. And how did you feel when you saw that Buddy the Elf was able to get a date? (laughs) (laughs) A magical date. date, Not not just any date. It was a montage date. We're not in the spoiler zone yet, Todd. Be careful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get there. One one of eight montages in the film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it it was fun. We just went and saw a movie that made us both laugh. Um, but yeah, that's when I first saw it. And like you, I think I've seen it every year since pretty much, or it's, it's been on somewhere that I've been every holiday season since. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. All right. Well, listeners, if you are unfamiliar with Elf, here is a quick synopsis. Uh, a human, uh, infant crawls into Santa's bag one Christmas Eve when Santa's making his delivery, ends up back in the North Pole where he's raised by elves, and even though he grows to full human size, is much longer, larger than all the elves around him who believes he is an elf until one day he learns the truth, that he was a human, and that his father, who didn't know that he was born, is alive in New York City and on the naughty list, and Buddy goes on a quest, much like a hero's journey, to find his father and try and bond with him, and I think, I don't think it's ever stated at the beginning, but there's the hope that he'll reform his father. That's definitely an implicit part of this, so he's going to help his father get on the nice list. Uh, and some hilarity ensues. So if that sounds interesting and you have somehow never seen this film, <laughs> you can seek it out. Uh, definitely available on DVD and Blu-ray. I don't believe it's on any streaming services. Probably should have checked that before. We will have, uh, we will have links in, in our show notes. This week's synopses are sponsored by Jessamine, our listener, who has recently donated on Patreon. And we are very grateful for that. So thank you for being our synopser. Huh? Like that one, guys? Uh, I, I'd like to thank our patrons. <laughs> let's go. So let's go. <laughs> so thank you for our newest patron, Jessamine. Okay. Uh, 
Todd. Yes. Is there anything you would like for Christmas this year? There's one thing I've been thinking of. Is there something you've been thinking of? <laughs> Is this a real question or a, uh, I want peace on earth, goodwill toward men. No, 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 now everything sounds very, very inadequate after that. So petty. <laughs> yes. Have you seen uh, sneakers? We haven't done sneakers on this show, but we must at some point. But I yes. will just uh, restate, I want peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Well, something that I've been wanting is a, uh, a new review on iTunes. Ah, yes. Uh, uh, five star. We're currently at 12. I'd like to see us reach 15. 15. That's that's our new goal. Our, our stretch goal is 15 <laughs> reviews on iTunes. We're currently on 12. So, listener, if you would like to make our Christmas extra special, please stop what you're doing and go give us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, besides Peace on Earth, is there anything else you would like, Todd? I said goodwill toward men. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> once again, I'll be the petty one. I was thinking another nice thing might be another patron <laughs> to ah, help support our podcast. Yes. I hadn't thought of that, but uh, that's fine. Um, we'll do that right after, or right before Peace on Earth and Goodwill Toward Men. <laughs> uh, and so, listeners, if any of you would like to fulfill that particular Christmas wish, you can go to patreon.com slash protagonistpodcast and uh, sign up to, to support. Even a, a dollar a month uh, helps us out greatly in uh, the cost of running a podcast. So uh, uh, if you want to think of Todd as the good one, he would like peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and I would like an <laughs> iTunes review and a new patron <laughs> patron on Patreon. Uh, thank you, listeners. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> I asked you to play along, Todd. I thought you were going to read my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably, you know, I just like I could only think maybe. about that last uh, final scene from, uh, from Sneakers. Which is one of my favorite films. Much like you, uh, maybe should have read the first line of the script before (laughs) jumping in. Maybe I should have run the role play by you before, (laughs) before just launching into it. That's fine. I, uh, I really would, I really would love to have, uh, some reviews and a little bit more, uh, cash in our protagonist fund, but it's growing little by little. All right. Well, listeners, we're about to enter the full spoiler zone. So if you've somehow never seen Elf, uh, go watch it now and then come back for our discussion. But uh, for a reminder for anyone who has been a while since they've seen it, Todd is now going to give us a full synopsis of the plot of Elf. Our movie starts with an introduction by Papa Elf, played by Bob Newhart. And I I would say perfectly played by Bob Newhart. (laughs) Well, I I think that sent like... That's Bob Newhart's, like, part of his name. <laughs> like, it's not Bob Newhart. It's perfectly played by Bob Newhart. Yes. <laughs> That's his full name. <laughs> uh, it's it's, it's uh, certainly one of the highlights of the film for me. Uh, he talks about the different jobs that elves can have, uh, but tells the audience that the big dance is for elves who work at the North Pole. We then cut to Santa delivering presents. A little orphan baby sneaks into his bag and ends up in the North Pole. Santa decides to let Papa Elf take care of the baby, whom they name Buddy because he is wearing little Buddy diapers. Buddy is raised as an elf by the elves, uh, but doesn't know that he's human. He learns the three parts of the elf code. One, treat every day like Christmas. Two, there is room for everyone on the nice list. And three, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. Papa Elf teaches Buddy how to fix Santa's sleigh, but Buddy is not as good at toy making as the other elves. This makes Buddy feel so bad that he calls himself a cotton-headed ninny muggins. The other elves try to help him feel better, but Buddy overhears one of them mentioning that he, Buddy, is a human. This rocks Buddy to the core. 
Papa Elf then confirms to Buddy that he is human and that his father, Walter Hobbs, lives in a magical place called New York City. His biological mother has uh, passed away. Santa then tells Buddy that Walter is on the naughty list. He is a heartless businessman who works as a children's book publisher. Uh, Buddy decides to go and meet his father. He walks to New York City. We get some great glimpses of Buddy's innocence as he waves at people hailing taxis, picks up all the flyers offered to him, congratulates the people at some hole-in-the-wall coffee place for making what is advertised as the world's best cup of coffee, hops across the hop, uh, crosswalk, eats gum off of a railing, plays in the revolving doors, throws up in a garbage can afterwards, uh, and then finally makes it to the Empire State Building to visit his father. Now, is that already the third montage of the film? Oh, there's the travel montage. Yeah, because there was the Buddy's World being rocked yes. montage, the travel montage, and now his yeah. Innocence in New York City montage. Now, because there's like the montage at the North Pole of him building toys and they were getting his world rocked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Montage heavy film. It's a montage heavy yeah. film. Uh, Walter's not happy with his unexpected visitor. He thinks Buddy is an absolutely crazy person. He calls security, and as they throw Buddy out, they tell him, go back to Gimbal's. He does, and is comically hit by a car while crossing the street. <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of the film. <laughs> Similar to the uh, to the, the, the bike crash in While You Were Sleeping. I could watch Just that out of nowhere. over and over and over again, <laughs> Buddy get hit by a car. Uh, Buddy plays... Well done, whatever stuntman <laughs> puts that one. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, Buddy plays around at Gimbal's, a giant department store, for a bit. Uh, he marvels at the ginormous toilets. He admires the Christmas lingerie as that is advertised for that special someone. Uh, and then finally he gets pulled into uh, what is called the North Pole, uh, the part of the store where kids can meet Santa. The supervisor there thinks Buddy is just another worker dressed as an elf. Buddy is entranced by a beautiful young woman uh, working there. Her name is Jovi. She's played by Zoe Deschanel, uh, sister of Emily Deschanel, who we talked about uh, when we uh, discussed Bones. And when Buddy first sees her, she's dressed as an elf and decorating the Christmas tree, and he just kind of stares at her. She thinks he's kind of creepy, creepily checking her out. He tells her, it's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. Great line. Great <laughs> line. <laughs> she's pretty cold to him. We get the impression that she's sad and lonely. Buddy encourages her to sing. She tells him she doesn't sing in front of people. Night comes and everyone goes home except Buddy, who spends the night decorating the North Pole, and this is quite the decorating job. Another montage. <laughs> Another montage. It's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, in the morning, he hears Jovi singing. Uh, she's taking a shower in the locker room. Buddy innocently goes in to listen to her sing, and then he starts to join with her uh, in singing, uh, but she does not appreciate this. Um <laughs> Another great moment that I can watch over and over is when he runs straight into a yes. wall. <laughs> so he covers his eyes and she yells, she yells, get out! And he covers his eyes and runs straight into a wall. Yes. Uh, Buddy's father has meanwhile been thinking about Buddy's mother, a woman named Susan who was his girlfriend but has since passed away. Uh, Buddy takes him a present. The lingerie he had seen earlier included in the gift is a picture of Walter and Susan. This makes Walter think. Santa shows up at Gimbal's and Buddy makes a huge scandal when he realizes it's really not Santa, but a man who smells like beef and cheese. Uh, Buddy gets thrown in jail and Walter bails him out. Uh, he takes Buddy to the doctor for a DNA test, which comes back positive. It turns Dr. out... Dr. Favreau. Dr. Favreau. With magically fast DNA tests. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Walter ends up taking Buddy home. His wife and son, uh, Walter's wife and son, are they're kind to Buddy, but they nobody seems really super excited about this. Uh, they all think he's crazy. Uh, work is not going well for, well for Walter. His boss is demanding a new book idea by Christmas Eve. 
Um, Walter and his wife leave Buddy at home while they go to work. Buddy picks up his brother Michael from school on the way home. They are snowball ambushed by some bullies. Uh, Buddy creams them in a snowball fight. And uh, Michael realizes that Buddy isn't that bad, so they spend the day together. They play at Gimbal's. They, uh, they cut down a tree in Central Park to bring to their house. Any guesses how they show this sequence? Would it be by montage? A montage. <laughs> Uh, while they're at Gimbal's, uh, though, Michael encourages Buddy to ask Jovi out on a date, and she accepts. Uh, because Buddy and Michael had cut down a Christmas tree in Central Park, Walter decides to take Buddy to work the next day. He ends up in the mail room, uh, a place Buddy describes as like the North Pole, but it smells like mushrooms and everyone looks like they want to hurt me. <laughs> Buddy makes friends with an ex-convict. They get drunk, and they have a huge dance party. This is a horrible timing because Walter is trying to line up a visit from Miles Finch, a hotshot children's book writer. That night, Buddy takes Jovi on, the, on a date, and they have a great time. He takes her to the coffee shop uh, for some uh, crummy coffee. Uh, he tries to get her to play with, in the revolving doors, and then he shows her what he thinks is a big Christmas tree. But then she takes him to Rockefeller Center, and they end up ice skating. Uh, remember, kids, we've talked about ice skating before. This is, <laughs> this is a fantastic move. <laughs> what? Part of a a, a great montage. <laughs> I mean, you can look back on your date in montage form. Ice skating is always key. Yes. Uh, he Buddy gives uh, Jovi a, a very innocent kiss on the cheek, but she tells him that he missed, and then she kisses him on the lips. The next day, Miles Finch, the big shot children's writer, shows up. It turns out he is a little person. Buddy barges in on their meeting, exclaiming, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. When he sees Miles, he starts to make all kinds of comments about Finch being an elf. Uh, Miles is not happy about this. Uh, uh, he beats up bu- bu- Buddy and leaves furious. Walter is beside himself. He kicks Buddy out. Uh, Buddy writes a goodbye letter and leaves. Michael, the brother, realizes that Buddy is gone and goes to find his dad, who's in a meeting with his boss. Walter asks Michael to wait. Michael tells Walter, Buddy cares about everybody. You only care about yourself. The boss is very rude to Michael. Walter tells him, don't talk to my son like that. And then he walks out of the meeting and they go to find Buddy. Uh, Buddy is standing on a bridge in a very uh, It's a Wonderful Life fashion, feeling sad for himself when he sees not Clarence the Angel fall into the river, but Santa crash into Central Park. His clausometer has dropped to zero because there isn't any more Christmas spirit. He needs Buddy to fix the sled, but he protests saying he's not an, an elf. Santa tells him, you're more of an elf than anyone I've ever met, and he sends Buddy to find the engine that has fallen off the sled. Soon the Central Park Rangers, who are on Santa's naughty list, show up. But so do- just, just I love the Central Park. Park Rangers, because they're like the writers in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Uh, so do Walter and Michael. Walter puts on Santa's coat and acts as a diversion uh, for the Rangers. Michael realizes that the sleigh won't fly because of a lack of Christmas spirit, so he takes Santa's list, finds a news lady, and starts to read the list on the air. People start to believe, but the newscast gets cut off. Uh, Jovi is there. She remembers that Buddy taught her that singing brings the Christmas spirit, so everyone starts singing, and Santa is able to make his getaway. Epilogue. Walter has started his own publishing company. Buddy is his first writer, and his story is the story we have just seen. Buddy and Jovi marry, they have kids, and they visit Papa Elf at the North Pole. The end. Counted out no less than six montages, at the very least, if we count the finale seven. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, uh, we mentioned, like I was making a point of mentioning the montages, and I don't want that to sound as though I'm being negative, because if you have Will Ferrell in a kind of broad comedy, you just point the camera at him and let him do yes. random things, and it will be funny. And then montage it. <laughs> yes. It is funny. And those are, some of the, those are some of the best bits in the film. Yeah, and Will Ferrell is a very gifted physical actor, and so he, you know, he doesn't need dialogue for some of those bits. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the Escalator is one of my favorites. Yes. <laughs> my, kids were, my kids were totally in stitches over The Escalator. Yeah. There's a moment when he's in the doctor's office and he is eating cotton got, balls. Yeah, yes. he, he just got his his finger pricked for the DNA test, and he's holding a cotton ball to it. And then he looks at a child sitting near him, 
and he smiles and then he pulls the cotton ball off his finger and pops it into his mouth. <laughs> uh, it's pretty great. Uh, I feel like um, as I was watching this film again, uh, I had the feeling that there are some films that where the first half, the setup is much better than the, uh, than the payoff at the end. Yes. I feel like I kind of had that feeling with this film this time. You know, I was talking about this with our producer, Andrew, before we started recording. And like one of my main, I mean, this is something that I'm doing a lot now. It seems is picking some nits. But one of the things that <laughs> maybe like scratched my head was in that kind of wrap up with Santa and Central Park and everything. Um, when, uh, what's the brother's name? Is it Matthew? Michael. Michael. Michael um, climbs in the sleigh. Like, he's seeing Santa Claus. He climbs in the sleigh. And Santa Claus I know, says, I know who you are. Go look in the bag. Your gift's in there. And yeah. it's the exact gift that he wanted on the list. And the sled starts to, like, rise because now he believes there's Christmas spirit, you know. And, and there had been no Christmas spirit on Earth before uh, this moment. Yes. And then immediately he says, oh, we, we should go get your sled in front of TV cameras. Get you in front of TV cameras. Everyone will see it and everyone will believe. And he says, no, 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 that's not Christmas spirit. It needs to be belief without seeing. And I'm like, your yes. sled just flew up in the air. Because <laughs> exactly. he climbed in the, in, he was physically in the sled. Yes. <laughs> that caused his Christmas spirit. And now you're immediately negating that. Yes. I agree. No. The whole thing uh, kind of falls apart at the end, but I'm willing to... Just kind of pretend that the, that the last 15 minutes of this film don't happen because of all of the magic that happens in the first. Though I do want to say one of my other favorite bits of the whole film, though, is in that last 15 minutes. And that's when they reveal uh, or, or just hint at the secret world of the newscasters. <laughs> When she says, well, well like they, they just, uh, they could have just had a newscaster there doing, you know, a dry news report, but they actually add quite a bit of humor in the throw, like the back to studio person, the, the desk newscaster yeah. kind of ribbing her. And then, uh, her interview with a guy who's like kind of half <laughs> giving the interview. And I really like your eyes. I, you really you, tell, you the tell the story, story with your, with your eyes. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like they add actually quite a bit of humor that didn't need to be in the script for yes. telling the story. But I think. Uh, in some ways makes maybe the the nonsensical aspect of the finale a little more palatable because you almost get distracted by uh, the depth that they've given some of these side characters that are just appearing for little bits that could have been throwaway roles. Yeah, I'll take that. I, it just, I, I'm not a big fan of the way that this film ends. I think they just needed to generate an imperative for a finale because otherwise it's, I mean... Buddy brings people Christmas cheer because Christmas is nice and it makes people happier. If you could just take the last 15 minutes of Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, 1978, and just <laughs> stick it on the end of this film, I think you'd have a perfect film. Well, Todd, that uh, is a nice segue because one of my notes for us <laughs> to discuss is uh, comparisons of Buddy the Elf and Big Bird. <laughs> okay. Who both get their worlds rocked by a grouchy... <laughs> A curmudgeonly character, uh, and yet still kind of carry on with this sweet innocence. Yes. I like that. I, I, the, I think innocent is the, the word to describe Buddy. Yes, and Big Bird. And Big Bird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, and in some ways, it, I mean, they don't, neither of them really have a character arc. <laughs> right. It's not like they become jaded. Like, that's not the story that's being told here. Right. And yet, I think both kind of work as protagonists driving, a, particularly for a Christmas story. I don't know that this would work as well in, you know, other... If if we'd accept this just as, like, a summer, you know, a blockbuster film where the character just had this single droning arc and never changed. But for a Christmas movie where it's all kind of hopeful, 
optimistic innocence, we we take it. They used to they used to release these Christmas films in the summer. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> now they don't. We actually get them at Christmas time. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. So if we if we talk about Buddy and the hero's journey, the he- which I think he, he does fit the mold, except he doesn't necessarily change that much. <laughs> so do you? Here's maybe one question: Do you feel do you feel that Buddy becomes less? So he's always childlike and innocent. Do you feel mm-hmm. like there's any argument to be made that he becomes less childish, maybe, or less like infantile, or or not? I, the, you can only. There are we moments don't... early in the film where it where it seems like he's pushing the envelope pretty far. In in the in the like, as far as innocent like innocence turns into infantile, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, does he mature at all? I mean, so the like the big change for him is uh, like when he gives up and he writes the note and he goes to the bridge. But that lasts for like forty five seconds of film time. Yeah, I don't know that there's <laughs> anything really earned there. I, yeah. I think they want it to be, and there's a clear reference to it's a it's wonderful, wonderful it's life. a wonderful life. Standing on the bridge and seeing the you know this the saving grace or sort of fall from heaven. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the for me, the end of this film doesn't really stand up. If the, if there is anything earned, it seems like it's earned over time and not in any one moment. Yeah, and even like that final bit when we find out that he's a children's book author and he's married and he has a child, like all we see is him still being really childlike when he's visiting Papa Elf mm. and Papa Elf calls. He says, come here, let me see the little guy. And he wants to see the grand baby. And Buddy stands up and carries the baby over like he's going to hand it. And then Buddy sits down on Papa Elf's lap. Yeah. <laughs> but see, Jovi, like Jovi goes for him. She really likes him. And, mm. and I don't think that she, I don't think that she would marry the Buddy that she meets at the, at the first time she meets him. You know, the one that, he- the one that attacks the beef and cheese Santa. <laughs> yes and he definitely learns and grows like he knows that the yellow cars don't stop right yes. so he, that, that's part of his <laughs> becoming the master and, of two worlds and he's not going to approach a raccoon the same way right by the end of the film so he does so, become ma- he does become master of two worlds but i mean does he need any he doesn't need any skills that he's gained in the outside world to help santa at the end like he just needs his North Pole skills. That's Maybe true. Maybe that would have made it more satisfying. If yeah, he, if he I had to use like a, like a mailroom skill. Oh yeah, yeah. Some, if he needed to spike some coffee to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> some syrup. Put some syrup. I love in this. the guy. The guy in the mailroom that he I is. Do, with. I love him too. But uh, just while we're on him, isn't the line something like "I'm 24 years old"? 26. He looks 26, like he's, he's 40. Like, You're young. You're so young. But he looks like he's 40. <laughs> He's had a hard 26 years. He has, yeah. <laughs> I had that exact same thought when he says, I'm 26, and I was like, whoa, you look like a very old 26-year-old. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 so I can, total, I can see him becoming master of, of two worlds. It seems like he learns you know, some, some survival skills. And I, I, I can't shake he this feeling makes that allies. he... He makes allies in this other yeah, world. Yeah, I can't shake this feeling that he does mature. Um, but the only thing, the only, the only clue that I have to that is Jovi falling in love with him. So if there is any maturation, it is entirely implicit. There's nothing explicit in the film for that. I think, I think, uh, I think so. And I like her and trust her enough as a character 
that I that I trust the change based on. Do you trust Jovi or do you trust Zoe Deschanel? (laughs) I think I trust Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) No, I think that she does a good job uh, playing that part. Well, I think um, talking about like you said, she wouldn't go for that guy. I. I mean, speaking of things that are implicit and certainly not explicit in this film, and there's plenty of things that are implicit <laughs> that they just kind of gloss over. But I think some of her jadedness at the beginning is uh, clearly she's coming out of some bad relationship, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's cynical about it. And the overwhelming like positivity that is coming from Buddy is clearly a change of pace for her and what her experience with guys has been. Yeah, she she has a she has an arc. She has a real arc. Walter has a real arc. And the, those are the those are two more yeah. interesting characters. If you want to look at like a dynamic character with an arc who actually makes significant changes over over the course of the story, which is so um, this flies in the face of the general rule of comedy, which is you need the straight man that's carrying the story, and the zany guy can be the side character. But if you get too much of him, it's overwhelming and you lose it. Uh-huh. So like, um, you need a gem in the office that can have. Uh, Michael Scott and and Dwight orbit around him. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if if it was really just strictly following Dwight and Michael Scott's journey, and there was no Jim and Pam, like the show would have been too farcical. Uh-huh. And this one is centered on the farcical character and has the actual you know serious character arcs happening around him. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean his his job is to be an agent of change for these people, and and he gains some survival skills in the process and a wife, which is pretty nice. But <laughs> well, in some ways, it's kind of like if uh, it's a wonderful life had been from Clarence's point of view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. I just I, I it's, it's uh, I really love this film. I lo- I mean I I said before the first time I saw it, I thought this is a classic, and I've seen it probably every Christmas since 2003. I remember the theater I was in. I I can't remember a comedy that made the entire theater laugh as much as Elf was getting that entire theater you know, just yeah. laughing where you like, you see people like grabbing their sides. Cause it's starting to hurt. They're laughing so hard at moments like him getting hit by the taxi cab. Yeah. I just, I really, <laughs> nowhere. I really just feel like the, like at the end could, could have been better. So I think what we have, like with this kind of flawed ending or at least unsatisfying ending, I think we could say yeah. is we have a really good film that you almost forget about the ending. Cause it's so, such an enjoyable journey, you know, up to that point. And you're, there's still funny things happening to make you laugh at, during that finale. And it's only when you want to have an hour-long conversation for a podcast that you really start to, <laughs> <laughs> to break down that ending and say, wait a second. Uh, so I think we have a really good film. And it feels like if maybe his hero's journey had been a little more complete, if he needed a little more of the skills that he was gaining in New York City, uh, it would have felt more like uh, the, the classic narrative arc. And it might have you know elevated this just one notch higher than what it is. But what it is is a really good holiday film that I think is going to never leave the rotation of December viewing for America. So I have a question for you about this. Um, we, we, we discussed the Sesame street film a couple weeks ago. And yes. one of the things that I loved about that film was the message at the end when uh, big bird comes down and the, the, the room is all decorated, the Christmas trees decorated, all the presents are there. And Gordon says, you know, what, big bird, it just doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter. What matters is family. I'm wondering, what do you think about the, like the, the takeaway, the message of this film? Like it wants to be, uh, that we need more Christmas spirit in the world, but it leaves Christmas spirit so ambiguous. Yes. <laughs> to what that actually means that you can't really say, what the real takeaway of that message is. 
Because um, Christmas spirit seems to be gained by knowing that Santa knows what you want for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and singing Christmas songs. This is the other reason why this film kind of falls down for me at the end, because there's a, there is a message here about family, which I think is really important. And the, for me, the most, one of the most important moments of the film is when the, when the boy comes into the, the board meeting and the dad says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, I'm in this really important meeting. And he says, dad, but he cares about everybody and you only care about yourself. And he goes, you know what? You're right. And then the, and then the boss helps him along by saying a mean thing to the, to the boy. And he says, don't talk to my boy like that. I'm out of here. And he says, you're fired. And he's like, fine, I'm out. That's a really important scene in this film. And, and, and that could be the message is that, man, Christmas is, is the time when we come together as a family and Santa just doesn't even matter. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know if because of the setup, that couldn't be the message. Um, yeah. And that they had to make Santa matter, but I just – the whole thing just comes apart. It just totally unravels for me at the end. There's – I mean, after the whole Central Park scene and Santa flies off. Then it's back. Um, then we're back to family again. Yeah, we we do go back to family. There's the shot of Jovi with uh, with the whole family, mm-hmm. right? And they're so, opening, so they're opening presents. The Walter's playing the piano. Right, and he plays the piano really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, he had the guitar earlier in in the picture, so there's right. there's hints of some musical past. Yeah, which is one thing I do like about this film. Like I said, with the newscasters, there's hints of none of these characters are just there. Like they they took time to think about who these characters are and not explicitly say it all, but show that there's more to these characters. Yes, I have a theory. Go ahead, producer Andrew. New theory. All right. So I don't know if it's necessarily like like family specific is the message but the way that santa's list like like reading off santa's list gives people christmas spirit i i got nothing for singing songs and 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 spreading christmas cheer by singing a lot for all to hear i've got nothing on that one but um but the idea that there is someone out there who's aware of what your desires are and is effectively trying to bring you something that makes you happy I think that's a message throughout this that um, that is an element of, of the Christmas cheer. One of my favorite moments is during the date when he points out a really big tree. He's like, this is a really big one. And she sees the joy in his face at seeing a, a large yes. Christmas tree. And then she says, I know something that's going to make you even happier. Mm-hmm. And takes him to the one at Rockefeller Plaza. And it's... And it's the happiest moment of his life, <laughs> seeing the biggest Christmas tree, and and just and that joy that he receives, um, and she receives by giving from, joy to someone else. Yeah, and and I think you know reading off Santa's list, it, it's the same moment that um, Michael is the brother's yeah. name uh, gets when he's in the sleigh and he gets what he asked for. He said, "Wow, somebody is aware of my desires and is and." for no particular reason is inclined to give me what I thought would make me happy. But really what makes him happy is the fact that someone was thinking of him. Someone was aware of his needs. And so when he reads the list off, people are suddenly like, well, someone's aware of what I care about. I like what you're saying. 97%. I just don't know <laughs> that the film is really getting there. No, <laughs> like I, I think I, your I idea is going farther. Than I the like film your, is. I like your version of the film much better than the, than the film as it is. Here's, here's my one issue with that thing. My, my little nit that I'm going to pick is that talk about conditional love, right? <laughs> like 
if if the if the moral of the story were unconditional love, like you know what, there's somebody he's always watching out for you, and you can be a you can be a twit, and it doesn't even matter because Santa's always got your back. But you know what, Santa doesn't always have your back. I'm <laughs> sorry. You be on the naughty list. Sorry, no. kids. If you're a stinker, you get on the naughty list, and you get a piece of coal, and that's like. The definition of conditional love, which I don't think is the spirit of Christmas. I just, I, and I, I don't think that's what the film is trying to do. It's I just part of. I, I like the sentiment of, of being someone who can bring that joy to someone. Yeah, and I, I like of, what of you said to about be aware of someone else's desires and say, "I see what you what you like there. Let me give you the greatest possible fulfillment of that." I, yeah, like where, where yeah. Jovi's joy during that date montage isn't from being on this date; it's from actually having that moment where she makes him happy, and that. That that's one of the moments of her kind of breaking down the cynical barrier because Zoe Deschanel does a really good job of having this kind of cynical New Yorker right. <laughs> barriers up everywhere uh, character and seeing someone else have joy that she gave to him starts to put cracks in that, especially for like a joyful person yes. like Buddy. Like like it's hard to imagine him being happier. <laughs> yeah, it's like well he's so happy about this. Wait, I can make him happier. And here's the and and going along with this, why does Buddy fail so spectacularly early on with his father? Is because he has no idea what his dad really needs, right? Yeah, and so he's he not a, he's not able to get, he thinks like, his dad, he's as far off as can be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and but he's just trying to get something for that special someone, right? <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I think it's really important. We've talked about this before on the podcast that if you want, if like the recipe for love is physical proximity and attentiveness to somebody's needs and then responding to those needs. And, and so you're onto something there with Santa. Uh, and we certainly see that play out when Buddy, for example, the, the big, the big turning point for Buddy and Michael is when Michael gets ambushed by these kids. Cause previous to that, Michael's like, Oh, he's trying to run away from Buddy. And Buddy says, wow, you walk really fast. I had a really hard time keeping up with you. And then, and then he, they get ambushed and then, and then Buddy protects Michael. And then Michael realizes, Hey, he's got my back. He recognized one of my needs and he helped fulfill that. And he protected me. And so now we're friends and then they go and, and have these adventures together. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like Michael's exploiting the naivete no. of Buddy in that which which many films have that kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. But in this case he says, Oh, like this is what it's like to have a brother. Yeah. And and now I love my brother. Let me spend time with him. Let me help him get a date. Question about that snowball scene. Yes. Does Buddy have superpowers? Ah. <laughs> I think he's just uh playing snowballs at the highest possible degree of any human he's he probably sucks compared to the elves because <laughs> his arm is flying <laughs> not just the accuracy but the speed with which he's able to i think we're led to believe we're led to believe that it's it has something to do with his diet <laughs> right he's, he's got a little extra energy yeah well he says i i got in a whole what, a whole 45 minutes of sleep last night and i made the rocking chair and i made breakfast for everybody and i and that's his four basic food groups are candy, candy canes, candy, candy corns, corns, and, and syrup. Syrup. <laughs> and uh, just again mentioning Will Ferrell's physical comedy, the commitment to eating that plate of spaghetti and, that he makes, and, which has pop tarts crushed on it and a gallon of syrup pulled on, and he just picks it up and shoves it in his face and, just and, chewing and it away. drinking a liter of coke or two liters. I think something some special effect was going with there, but I've heard that he actually pulled that off. Oof, really? And and and, and then they yelled cut, and he went out of there. But 
<laughs> I would need I, to I uh, think verify he, that. I think it, it. I think it went past his gullet. <laughs> it looks so convincing. It's really. And I believe good. Will Ferrell one could do it <laughs> and would do it for the comedy. I think in some of his other roles, he's he's noted for his chugging abilities. Wow! <laughs> from the uh, the ads that I see, it's not one liter. It's two. It's a two liter. It's Coke. two full liters of Coke in right, one well, chug. And it, like I think I have did- won more than one can chugging contest. A can of soda. Oh, yeah. Just pour that straight down. You or- you don't stop. I, I can do that. Uh, but all right, hon. Oh, there is no way. I can't even get like a swallow without the trick. Is oh, to I can just pour, I can just pour the soda up above my mouth and just have it flow straight down to the chugging <laughs> contest. Do you have a superpower? Uh, <laughs> that is all right. Here, hold on. Uh, when I did a search uh, to try and find out if, if this chugging thing happened, I found. On a website called the FW, 10 Things You Didn't Know About Elf, which claims, and I'm not, I, I've not checked the rest of any things, that the lead role was offered to Jim Carrey. Uh, the actor who played Ralphie in A Christmas Story appears as an elf. <laughs> uh, the voice of the stop motion po- po- polar bear is Ray Harry- Harryhausen. Wow! Ray Harryhausen is classic stop motion 1950s and 60s. <laughs> the, the master of stop motion. Oh, yeah. Amazing stop motion. Uh, animator. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts. See, the okay. elf costumes are exact replicas of the elf costumes for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I, the, yes, I will agree with that one. Uh, will Ferrell's reactions to the Jack in the Boxes were genuine? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, I have to say, that is a perfect example. Of, like, if you're teaching a class on comedy, like the theory of comedy, that is the perfect example of the rule of threes. That y- you have two to establish the setup, and then the third breaks it for the, for the comedy. And that <laughs> so is good. the perfectly timed example of that. Let's see. The voice of Braid on Animaniacs did the 12-second burp. Burp? <laughs> okay, yeah. So we've already covered that. Not the 12-second burp. <laughs> no, but yes, the 12-second burp. Uh, let's see. Uh, Farrell suffered headaches and a lack of sleep from eating all the sugar that he ate on set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. The tiny elves weren't made of CGI. I think we know that. It's really good forced perspective uh, is how they it's do very all, good. Of the, really? all of the... Uh, yeah, it's uh, he's sitting like ten feet in front. They did. I mean, the people at set are doing all the math to make sure this looks, and then the lighting has to be perfect. And the real trick of doing forced perspective to make it work, where everything's normal sized, but you're you're moving someone closer and through the camera, you're making it look larger, is getting the eye lines right. And the actors can't actually look at each other. Like Will Ferrell has to be like looking straight down in front of him, which is looking at a spot on the floor. Oh wow! And then ten feet back, the other elf is looking up at the wall, and there's nothing there, but it looks like they're looking right at each other. Huh. Let's see. Will Ferrell has turned down a large amount of money to do an Elf 2. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, nothing on the burp here. It, the last fact you mean from the this, chug. or the chug, is that Will Ferrell once worked as a department store Santa. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a shame that he's turning down all that money to do a sequel. I don't know. What would be different in an Elf 2 <laughs> if we've just said there's no change in Elf 1? <laughs> That's a good point. But, at the same time, there's a lot of very funny montages of him being this character. And so I could handle another five montages of him being <laughs> this character. And I think that, so getting back to my gripe about this film, I will say the thing that I love about this film, which is it's funny. It's really, 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 really funny. 
very laugh out loud. <laughs> and it has some and it has some sweet moments. This is not the kind of film that I show my children to say and and kids this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is this is the spirit. This is the true spirit of Christmas. Uh, there are much, many, and much better examples uh, of films that I think get to the heart of Christmas better than this one does. But there are few Christmas films that are funnier than this. I think I'd say this fits into the Home Alone bracket of Christmas films. Yes. Yeah. Even I think Home Alone has a more a, a clearer uh, destination than this film does, which is yeah. don't be a jerk to your mom. And if you had to live without your mom for a long time, you would be really sad. And when you saw her again, you would be really happy. That uh, that to me is like a, a pr- the pretty clear thesis of Home yeah. Alone. I don't know what the thesis of this film is, except let's get Will Ferrell in an elf costume and have him <laughs> act really, really innocent. We'll surround him with some really great actors and actresses, and it will be really, really funny. And and then somebody goes, wait, but how does it end? And they go, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> but we, I mean, we have said there are the two characters that have an arc, which is kind of the classic story arc yes. of Jovi breaking down her cynicism and finding love mm-hmm. and the dad like accepting uh, not just this son that he never knew into his life, but like quitting this horrible job <laughs> that had a horrible boss, which by the way, uh, I, it's the dad is commendably and angry, but you can see where <laughs> that came boss. from when you see the work environment, <laughs> which yeah. he has to struggle to earn a living for his family, but he turns his back on all of that for his family. So there are some of those classic Christmas arcs. All right, real quick, two things I've learned about the chug from moviemistakes.com. <laughs> Uh, one is a continuity issue that at every time they change the angle of the camera, the Coke label is still perfectly pointing at the camera <laughs> when he's chugging. <laughs> and you can clearly read that this is Coca-Cola. From and different it, angles? Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and then the other one, it says, when Buddy is chugging the bottle of Coke, there's a shot taken from behind. And if you look at his arm when this is happening, you can see a dark line running uh, uh, through it. It's a tube going oh, down his arm. Oh, okay. It says... So that Will Ferrell did not drink the entire two liters. <laughs> That's disappointing. I can't imagine. Two liters is so <laughs> much soda. So much soda. <laughs> wow. I don't. I don't know what else to say. I feel like. <laughs> well, one last thing I wanted to say. Um, this film uses one of my least favorite Christmas songs in a key scene. Oh. <laughs> Santa Claus Which, is coming to town. No. Oh, no, but she's singing oh, in the shower. Oh, baby, it's cold outside. Yes. Yes. Which. Um, a, it's the right. creepy, creepiest song. I've, yeah, it I've is very it. much a man forcing his will on a woman. Yes. And there's lines that are, like, really bad. Like, what's in this drink? I'm sorry. I don't care if it's supposed to be what kind of <laughs> alcohol did you put in this. That's still inappropriate. Yes. <laughs> it is a song that just makes me uncomfortable. Like, and the, the thing about it is, the music and the round it is so beautiful. so catchy. You can listen to it and not pay attention to the lyrics and get swept up in a very catchy Christmas tune. But when you start to listen to the Christmas music, there's something wrong with that song. Yeah. I agree like She's trying to leave, and you let her leave. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Um, that we just... Uh, what is the... Uh, Adina Menzel has a really, really good Christmas album out, and uh, she sings that song with Michael Buble, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's Adina Menzel and Michael Buble... <laughs> Singing a Christmas duet together, and they had to do that one. It uh, breaks my heart. I, I wish we could, someone would just uh, change the lyrics and keep the exact same music in round. 
yeah. <laughs> just somehow make it a little better. <laughs> and anybody and anybody who doesn't think that that song has problems um, does not have daughters. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I agree. But I will say in this uh, version of it, it. Uh, you lose a lot of the creepy factor because Will Ferrell doesn't come into the very last line when he just said it. he he's kind of humming along. He's not saying the lyrics that are the domineering male. <laughs> do you think that lyrics. maybe? Do you think that maybe it's um it's done on purpose, like as contrast? It's a, it's a scene that's so fraught with potential uh, creepiness, and he is so innocent. Like it all it all serves to highlight his innocence. That here he is. He's he's just sitting on the countertop. She's right next to him. Uh, in, the shower. in the shower, and he is completely—he's just listening to her. He's sing. just entranced. He he's entranced her, her with her voice. And in the end, and then later when she sees him, she says, "Hey, come over here." Uh, so what was going on? And he says, "You have the most beautiful voice I've ever heard." And she says, "Oh, you—you you mean it doesn't have anything that, to do with the fact that I was in the shower?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> like it just doesn't even face him. And I wonder if they intentionally picked that song to sort of heighten the. Uh, his innocence in that whole thing. I really don't like, like the song anyway. Right, because like you said, that that scene in any other Will Ferrell comedy <laughs> is going to be played in a very different way. Yeah. But in this one, there's nothing, you know, untoward in Buddy's actions of being in, the, you know, there. He's really just wanting to hear this beautiful sound. Yeah. And I like her, I like the way that she sees and interprets his innocence. It doesn't take her very long to realize that he's not crazy. Uh, he's just, like, he's sweet. And, I don't know, I, I like her character. Um, one last character that I think we just need to throw one shout out. We've mentioned the mailroom guy and the newscasters, but we also need to mention Walter's secretary. Oh, I love her! That's a character that has a such delightful side life that <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what it is. We just find out there's more in her world than just being a secretary. And this is the, very, the that was the first thing that I noticed when we when we see her the first time in tonight when I watched it. Um, she's saying, uh, "No, I, I what is it? I've never declawed. I've never a declawed ca- a cat before. How many is it? Eight, nine, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll be over. <laughs> it just says so much about her character. Just those few lines on that half of a conversation on the phone, and we we I- instantly like her." And yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And she has like, every time she's on, you get the sense that she's actually coming from somewhere else and has been doing something. Yes. Which so many films that does not happen to that level of character. <laughs> like they're yeah. there to serve the plot and, you know, give the line of dialogue that's going to, you know, move something else along. Uh, but I think this film does a really good job of letting every person that is having dialogue on the screen is, uh, is a more fully fleshed out character. Yeah. It does a lot. This film does a lot of things really, really well. And uh, again, shout out to John Favreau, who has the cameo as the doctor, but who directed this, who has had a pretty successful career yeah. <laughs> in, in Hollywood and other things. He went on after this to direct Iron Man. <laughs> and, and Iron Man 2. Yes, and Iron Man 2. So he's, uh, he's been doing okay. He's not, not the Christmas-themed Iron Man 3. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which also came out in the summer. Or the spring? <laughs> yeah, that was a summer. Was, uh, late spring, early summer. Yeah. One of those. It was like yeah. May. I want to yeah. say May-ish. All right, any final okay. thoughts, Todd? I have one last question for you two. Go oh, for okay. it. Where does Buddy get his boundless optimism and positivity? Because the thing is, even... <clears throat> you, you don't necessarily see this from all the elves in the North Pole. 
Like, they are kind of put off by Buddy in a way that he's not put off by anything, practically. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's... It, it, the the moment that it makes me think of is when he when he's helping Santa and Santa says I need you buddy and he says I'm not even an elf and he says you're you're the best elf I've ever met and uh, it's it may be another nod to the superiority of humans and that, <laughs> that a human raised with elves will be with elves elf. will be better than elves he will Classic be the best fantasy elf. trope yes. So I, I th- that's that's my thought on that. I mean, it's not like he's free from darkness. He he has a dark side when he believes there's a fraudulent Santa in his presence. Yeah, he will, yeah he'll he'll go on the attack. Uh, and he again he has the dark moment. But he's he defending Christmas. He's defending. Note, he's which defending by the way, Christmas. Etchiskets skills are amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's defending Christmas though. I mean, like he's defending Santa and the the integrity of the holiday when he gets mad at the at that santa uh, <laughs> which i feel like is in character with uh elf maybe there's like warrior elves and that's their job to <laughs> to defend christmas there's only three jobs for elves Todd. oh yes you're right <laughs> um i was gonna say this is another one of those christmas films though that kind of introduces the doubt of christmas as a key plot point <laughs> Uh-huh. And celebrating Christmas. And it's, you know, this is clearly meant for children of all ages. And it's just interesting to me that we, we seem to get that as a regular element of our Christmas stories is don't believe. Oh, you should believe. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything ne- more negative. If I, if I don't have anything nice to say, then I'm not going to say anything at all. So. Well, uh, just end on the note that this is all about increasing Christmas spirit, and I think the laughter it gives definitely adds to it some does. joy and happiness of the season. It does. Even if you can't quite parse out the last act. It's, it is so funny, and there are so many funny, funny lines and funny, like, bits of physical comedy. Uh, I'm happy to overlook all of the other stuff. But give me a microphone in an hour. I'll find something to complain (laughs) I do have to say, there's something, uh, by the way, just primal and preternatural in humanity about finding that 12-second burp humorous because (laughs) I was watching this with my 6-year-old and my 3-year-old and my 1-year-old. And when the burp was happening, my 1-year-old stopped and was, like, staring at the screen. And then as it ended, he just started going, ah, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to, and he like giggled proudly at himself for imitating that sound. Yeah. My kids thought it was <laughs> totally funny. And I was, I was like dying during it. It's, it's, it's great. My other, so, uh, I do have some favorite bits of physical comedy. So, um, we talked about being hit by the car and uh, when he's eating, when he does the escalator, when he's eating the gum off of the off of the <laughs> railing, and I and I just have this feeling that that really is just a uh, uh, some random railing in New York, and that he really is eating <laughs> random people's gum off of it. Um, but also, when, when that was happening, my my six year old was going, "No, nobody, no." <laughs> when he jumps off the couch onto the onto the uh, Christmas tree to hang the light or the the star. That's one of my favorite points uh, in and, the film. The, some of those moments of the broadest comedy that come out of nowhere. Like, that one wasn't set up. <laughs> it just, <laughs> so, all of a sudden, he's flying through the air. Uh, but uh, we also mentioned the Jack in the Box. That one is set up perfectly. Yes. Like, that, for setting up the comedy, was so well done. Yeah. Cotton-headed ninny-muggins. 
Well, that wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. It helps with our <laughs> indoor plumbing and our granite countertops. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got to our script. <laughs> Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where to find a list of all of our shows. You can uh, suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, and at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is Andrew, at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or support us or show thanks, with a financial donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. You can also just click on the uh, support us on protagonist link in your show notes. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. The film was written in... Uh, blah, 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 blah. I probably should have read this at least one time. <laughs>